Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. specializing in working with children and families and I'm also a mother. Every week I answer one of your real life questions to try and give you a little bit of psychological understanding and also some ideas and strategies to guide you. Before we start I like to begin with a little check-in just to get you grounded in the here and now and kind of prepare you for the conversation we're going to have together. And today, all I want you to do is to try and put a label to how you're feeling. And to make this a little bit more challenging for you, can you find a word that is more descriptive than just saying happy, sad, angry, calm? Can you maybe think of words that sound like alert or joyful or appreciative? Expanding our emotional vocabulary is so important in order for us to develop emotional regulation and it really helps us to then be able to do this with our child. So today's check-in is also a little bit of a resource for you. Have a think about a word that fits for you and once you've got it, we can begin. Today's question is a little bit different to what we've been talking about so far on this podcast. Today's question is about the stories we read to our children and what happens with those classical books that are full of stereotypes and perhaps language that we feel uncomfortable with. What should we do with them? I'd be so interested to know what your thoughts are on some... um traditional storybooks that are that have sort of outdated um content so harmful stereotypes um racist language etc um i mean i know how i feel about those issues but some of them are what used to be deemed as classics um and even now actually there's some books in production that are um have some really kind of harmful um stereotyping but also some really triggering content for young people that um, I'm not sure if they're ready for, but I would love your point of view on it. So if it wasn't obvious from my introduction, I absolutely love this question. I love books, I love stories, and if you've been around in my community on Instagram for a while, you will know that I often talk about books and talk about using books as resources um, to both skill you up, but also open up conversations with your children. So I adore this question because it's also something that I personally kind of battle with a little bit. It is quite a big dilemma. And I think in our current society, there's a real narrative about censorship and, you know, this idea of cancelling culture. So there are certain books, like in this question, um, that are classics or that we define as classical books. Often they're fairy tales, sometimes they're stories, but a lot of them are stories, fairy tales, 
books that we've read in our childhood or that we had access to at school. I think we also associate certain people, places or feelings with some of these stories that we describe as classics. So personally, I have a lot of memories of my grandparents reading me classical fairy tales from like the Grimm brothers um, in like bedtime story format. I remember that. And so some of my stories from childhood are actually associated with warmth and nurturing rather than the story itself. Of course, the stories also in these classical books have certain words, certain morals, certain stereotypes that they're depicting. And how do we navigate that with our children? So I think we've got choices. As adults, parents, we always have choices. And this podcast isn't going to be about telling you what you can do. It's more about helping you consider your options and how you choose to navigate this with your family, with your child. I just want you to know that there is no wrong or right. It's just whatever feels like a more useful idea or a better fit for you. Also, I mean, I think I need to say this, but lots of these stories also exist in film format. So, you know, Cinderella, one of those classic stories that we might think about, it's also part of Disney, as are a huge amount of these stories. And so I'm aware that lots and lots of children have watched and love these Disney depictions of these classic stories. So as a parent, do you stop them from watching these films? Do you just never read these books? Do you act like they never existed? And or can you do something different? I think you can simply never read them. I think you can choose not to expose your child to these stories. If you feel that some of them are harmful, and I personally feel that there are certain books where, I know this was part of the question, so I'm going to put it in here, but where there is a narrative that talks about racism in a really unhealthy way that kind of perpetuates it, normalizes it. I think those stories, they are genuinely, they are off my shelf. They don't exist in my house and I won't be reading them. And that is my personal choice. I also feel like those stories, we can do something different with them too. And this is the bit I'm going to talk about. But like I said, it's about balance. It's about you making the choice that feels right for your child and not feeling like you're getting it wrong because I've said one thing or another. So if some of those stories that I just talked about are stories you read with your child, that's okay. And I'm going to connote this by saying, I think like the way that I talk about stories and the way that I use them in my work, they can be opportunities to open up conversations. A lot of these fairy tales and the stereotyped morals, they can be therapeutic. I know that might sound surprising to you, but they really, really can. So I'm going to talk about what I think a classical stories or any form of stories are really about. And then I'm going to talk about some things, ideas that you may wish to embed in the reading of stories, whatever story you choose to take with your child. So when it comes to classical stories um, or any story of any time, the way that I think about them is that they are kind of small snapshots of our society and culture at the time. And there is something really interesting about stories such as Cinderella or um, Little Red Riding Hood or Sleeping Beauty, all of those kind of classic Grimm Brothers stories. 
I've done a little bit of research on this and I found it fascinating, which is that first and foremost, they were not written for children. These were adult stories. So we need to remember this is before the time of TV, before the time of cinema. And the Grimm brothers wrote adult stories, which were actually quite gory and they were quite, um, you know, aggressive from what I've read recently. And the idea was that they were played out in kind of the middle of a town to entertain adults. Over time, those stories got reshaped into children's stories. And so some of the gore and the attacks and all of that got taken away. But the morals and the stereotypes, they stayed because they were part of the time. And those stereotypes say something really important about that society. There's been some studies as well of what we think of as the Cinderella complex, in quotes, which is the assumption that women depend on men for the pursuit of happiness and the pursuit of a fulfilling life. So, of course, now in modern day times, as women and hopefully as men, we look at this stereotype and we think, well, that's not true. But it, of course, it served an important purpose at the time. There was a reason why this needed to be a narrative that felt important, that felt real, that felt like gave women a purpose because women weren't allowed to work. You know, the patriarchy was really strong and women's identities were forged in relationship with men and they were forged in relationship with being a mother or being the house owner. And it was about telling women, this is a happy, fulfilling life for you. This is good enough. Of course, we can debate whether that was right or not at the time and even now. And I am very clear about these kind of stories for me. But what's really important is that loads of these studies have shown that it is the words in the fairy tales that surround female and male characters that are the most kind of salient things. And what they show is that male characters are adventure oriented and female characters are romantic and relationship oriented. Now I'm going to say that in our current society, the female characters have definitely changed. We have more and more female characters for children that are not romantic or relationship oriented, they are adventure oriented. So we can think of Frozen, we can think of Moana, which is a great example, or we can think of um, Raya, or we can also think of Bluey, which I know she's a little dog, but she's blue, so you know, not necessarily the stereotypical colour you expect, and she's full of adventure, and she's not super girly and wants to play with dollies and princesses all day. So, there are lots of female characters now for children that are depicting something different. However, when it comes to male characters, they continue to be adventure-oriented. Other than Luca, which depicts male friendship, and even then, the story is about an adventure. The story is about learning to cycle and, you know, experiencing life not as a mermaid, but as a person on land. It is still a bit of an adventure story. 
And this is one of the things that is a little bit of a pet hate for me. I feel like our society has really moved forward with advancing female characters and representing for girls that there is another version of identity out there for them. But it's not quite the case for males. And I'm saying all of this because I think that fairy tales, classic books, any book, any book, even the modern ones, you can use them as opportunities to dismantle the stereotype, to develop your child's critical thinking, to ask your child questions that widen up their lens. And we are not living in a society where gender bias doesn't exist. That's simply not true. Of course we've advanced. Of course, you know, women's identities, freedoms and rights have moved on hugely from the day Cinderella was written by two white men. But we need to hold on to the fact that there is a gender bias. The gender pay gap is real. The fact that um, women are still not perceived as being as able as men in lots of areas of life and work is real. The fact that mothers hold the burden of care, childcare, and parenting emotional load is real. And I'm not saying that we don't have supportive, caring, loving men. And I'm not saying that we should like point the finger at men and say it's your fault. This is a societal issue. These are societal narratives that we are kind of embedding in our everyday. And some of them are explicit, like the words that children have on their t-shirts. You know, little girls have rainbows and say, be nice, or, you know, always happy. And little boys have dinosaurs and robots and they say things like, rawsome. These things are important. These are messages that we're giving out to our society. Not our children, because they can't read the messages, but to the adults around them. So we're just perpetuating the stereotype constantly. So one of the things I really want to say here is this is an issue for everyone. This is an issue for all genders, for all parents, for all children. If we really want to break down the stereotypes, then first we need to accept that they exist and we need to help our children see them. So for me, this is really key. You cannot dismantle or break away from something if you don't know that it exists. And one of my kind of caveats at taking away every single one of these stories, take them off the shelves, you know, get rid of all the films, never let a child see them, is that it's a little bit like the colorblind theory. The idea that we're all the same, we're colorblind, we only see humans. One of the biggest dangers with those kind of narratives is that it stops children from having and developing the opportunity to understand what discrimination is. Because if they've never understood that we're not all starting from the same place, that racism exists, that being colorblind and just seeing all of us as equal is actually stopping us from understanding when there are racial discriminations that happen in everyday life, when white bodies are privileged over black and brown, we are avoiding something. And for me, these classical stories are very similar. If we don't show our children what a stereotype looks like, they're not going to be able to see it when it happens. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. They're not. They're not going to understand that actually we're not all equal. There isn't an equal fair society. So for me, it's only the day that we have an equal and fair society for all. That acceptance is the norm, not the thing we're working towards, that we can say we don't need these books anymore. They can go on like in a museum or something to remind us that this is the society we used to have. But we've moved so far that that's not here anymore. And I really sadly, disappointingly, don't think that's where we are. And modern stories where there are still stereotypes and you find them unhelpful or uncomfortable because you can see them, they create a wonderful opportunity to say and open up with your child this idea of, you know, this book is brand new. So there's a grown-up who still thinks these stories are okay to put out there in the world. What do you think about these stories? How do they make you feel? This is beautiful opportunity when children are old enough to really unpick, critically evaluate, develop that sense of thinking, of not just consuming information and going, I believe everything I read, but really sitting back and saying, what do I think about this thing somebody's written? Even if it's a fantasy story, what do I think about it? How does it make me feel? Do I align with this? And if I don't, is there a way that I could reframe what's been said in a way that I would find acceptable? You could do that. You could do it as an exercise. So now I'll just talk about a few ideas of how to actually do this. The first step for me is that you need to reread the stories, okay? Whether it's Cinderella, I mean, I'm just saying the ones that pop into my head, obviously, you know, Little Red Riding Hood or Sleeping Beauty, Think about the themes that they bring up. You can watch the film if you think your child is going to watch the film. And also, 
just as a caveat and a little pause here, we also don't know the things children may watch in somebody else's house. So it's also thinking about how do we prepare our children for when they confront a story or a film or a narrative like this? How do we prepare them to understand what they're witnessing? Okay, pause over. <laughs> so what we can do is either re-watch the film, re-watch it, take a notepad if you need to, you know, really pay attention to the words that are spoken, the themes that are getting pulled out, you know, for example, you know, Cinderella, there is social inequality, there is the idea of ugly being associated with being mean, so there is a real concept about beauty in Cinderella that I think is really toxic, but actually really important. We live in a society of social media where filters and body modification has become completely normal. What an opportunity to talk about this with our children, about what is beautiful and what is meanness and do they have to be associated? Or when we see something that is more or less attractive to us, we look beneath the exterior to see somebody's worth, right? I'm giving you a little idea here. Other themes in Cinderella, they're all full of themes, by the way. Things around, you know, of course, you know, the prince, the girl being saved by a prince. There is something about money. There is something about worth. There is something about identity. Do, do we only need to be seen in relationship to others? There is also something about breaking heteronormative, heterosexual narratives and stories. The assumption is that the prince is looking for a woman and all the women want to marry the prince. Is that, is that right? Is that what we think is true? There are so many themes here. You don't have to pick them all. You don't have to be like, oh my God, I didn't even see all of these. Just pick one or two that you feel are valuable, important to you. Consider your values and what things matter the most. Things like, you know, Sleeping Beauty is a beautiful one to think about consent. I mean, could it be any more obvious? But it's great. And also there's also depictions of ageism in most of these stories. The witches, their age, the color of their hair. And you know, here they are, stories, literally on a platter for you to really dismantle and unpick and talk to your child. Once you have the themes, then you can, if you wish to, either watch a film with your child or read one of these classic stories and then pause. Pause it, either the film or your reading, at certain points and talk about it. See this as a critical thinking exercise. So again, if you've thought about some themes, maybe think about some questions that you want to ask your child. They can be really basic, like, huh, what do you think about that? What do you think about the fact that they're called the ugly sisters? How does that make you feel? When, how do you know when somebody's ugly? What do you look for in people to know whether they're beautiful or not? Really simple questions. And these are also things I think through with my three-year-old. Yep, she's three and a half and it's okay. She's not going to have the answers for anything. Sometimes she just says, I don't know, mama, but I've planted a seed. And I might give her my answer in a very tentative way because what we want to do is get our children to really think. And then I'll say, you know, I think ugly and beautiful is different for everybody. Can you tell me something you find beautiful? 
And she often will say, you, mama. And then we'll talk about what she finds beautiful in me, which is not my face or my body or anything like that. Her answer is usually, you're warm. I mean, how beautiful. But having these conversations with your child, no matter what their age, is really going to help them think. And then they're going to understand stereotypes properly. So when somebody says, you know, there is no gender inequality or gender bias doesn't exist, they'll be able to spot it from afar. So we want to open up our children's minds. And to do that, we sometimes can use these books as resources. So they might not be a bedtime storybook, okay? There are stories for bedtime and they should be the fun, warm, kind of soothing ones that you and your child enjoy reading together. You can see this as a bit of an exercise, a bit like when you build a puzzle and what you try and do and support your child is to build fine motor skills and also um, frustration tolerance perhaps and the idea of working on something together. We are teaching kids through play all the time. Reading books to children teaches them things every day, every time. Vocabulary, ideas around social relationships, ideas around morals, ideas around representation of the colours of the characters in the books, which is also a great exercise to do with classics because everybody is white. So use it, use it to your advantage. And like I said at the beginning, of course, you don't have to do this. If there are books, like I said, there's a few for me, that I've definitely taken off the shelf after really considering the impact of reading them and the kind of conversations that I felt would be possible and the kinds of conversations I thought they might block or interrupt. Um, so it's my personal choice and I really want you to do that. I want you to feel like you can be a confident you know, parent in your own leadership of the kinds of things you want your child to see and learn. There is nothing wrong with saying, I don't wanna do this. That's absolutely fine. Just consider that some, th some of these things can be an opportunity. And also I'm sharing this because it is very likely that no matter how much you protect your child from all these kind of classical stories that are really stereotyped and full of morals that you don't want your child to kind of learn and embed into their own kind of being, that they may come across some of these stories anyway because they are still there in modern books, in you know their friends' houses. So sometimes it can be useful as a parent to think, how do I prepare for this eventuality? When this happens, what will I do with it? It is so much healthier to say to a child, oh, you watched Cinderella at your friend's house. What did you like about it? Or what did you not like about it? Shall we talk about Cinderella? Because it was a story I grew up with and actually now I'm having some different ideas about that story. Well, are you interested? Do you want to hear about it? More often than not, children want to hear your views. They are interested in you. They revel in that kind of connection of getting to know you. So use it. Use it to your advantage. This is much healthier and effective than saying to your child, you watch Cinderella? I never want you to watch that film again. That is an awful film. It's so stereotyped. When we do that, when we shut it down, 
with our value judgments, which may be correct, don't get me wrong, you may be absolutely spot on, but when we do that, what we do is we close down the opportunity to communicate with our child, and it often polarizes situations, which means children become more interested in this thing you don't want them to see, in this thing you don't want them to read, because as soon as we say, I don't like it, but we give no explanation, children get more curious, huh? What's so bad about it? I think I need to watch that again. So just know that when we open up these conversations and we don't layer our own assumptions, we just curiously figure out how does our child feel about this? What did they see? Have they noticed any of these themes? So you can like, you know, drop them in as little C's. Well, did you know, did you notice this idea about all the girls wanting to marry a prince? What do you think about that? Just drop little seeds of kind of opening up their mind to different perspectives. This is a really rich opportunity. And I'm going to repeat it just in case you're listening to this thinking, I'm never going to do this. That's absolutely fine. You don't have to do this. I trust you to be the kind of parent who can make the right decision for your child. And I hope even if this isn't what you're going to do, that it's been interesting to you to listen to this podcast today. And we're coming to an end. And like always, I like to end on a little mantra just to hold you for the rest of the day. And given the topic today, my mantra for you is, I trust myself in making the best decision for my child. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do rate and review. It really helps my visibility and allows other people to join us in these conversations together. If you'd like to join me on the podcast and send a question, have a look at my website, drmartapsychologist.com for all the information of how to do that. And if you are not part of my community, do come and join us. It's drmartapsychologist on Instagram. I hope you have a restful day and I so look forward to talking to you next week. Until then, see you soon. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 